0: Shamari, welcome back to the H.R. Podcast. Sponsoring the podcast today are Combat Cigars. Combat Cigars is the first and the only British veteran-owned cigar company in existence. I don't believe there to have been one ever in existence, ever. That's probably bollocks, but I'm going to stick to it, right? Disclaimer, I am part of Combat Cigars. Myself, a guy called Steve and a guy called Jared. You know Jared because he was part of the first 10 episodes of the H.R. Podcast. He was he was a he was the founding a founding member of the HR podcast we started this up i would like to say it was my idea it was not my idea it was Stephen Jared's idea i wish it was mine it's a fucking brilliant idea we source our cigars from a partner farm in colombia they make our three cigars exclusively for us you can't get these from anywhere else we're not white labeling the oath of allegiance the victory and the last post that you can buy through combat cigars at .uk. Um, like i said you can't get them anywhere else is what we do. They send us cigars, we flipping sort them out, and you get them and you smoke them. Alley, mega. Two good words to put to Combat Cigars, Alley and Mega. I've not done a sponsorship plug for Combat Cigars before, so this is why it's such a car crash. Anyway, we still got some of the latest passion stock. Go to Combat Cigars at uk, check them out, and uh, buy them uh, and leave a review. You can't, uh, you can't, you, there are no other ways to get, Cigars made by British veterans. You have to do it through combat cigars. So if you want your monthly dose of cancer, get it from us. Also sponsoring the podcast today are the Aardvark Group. The Aardvark Group provides advanced systems for the protection and management of territories, borders, assets, and people for a global customer base. Their solution incorporates risk management, satellite, and UAV imagery for situational awareness, safe systems for the identification and destruction of landmines and the remnants of war, and standoff explosive detection technologies. AARDVAC operates in the humanitarian, critical defence, security and commercial sectors in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, Europe and the Americas and is widely regarded as the most effective landmine clearance system in the world. AARDVAC's expertise is in the creation and implementation of safe systems for the investigation, decontamination and handover of land impacted by the remnants of war. Following the recent acquisition Of Aardwark in 2017, the new management has sought to develop and expand the company's offerings with systems and solutions that complement the company's highly regarded status. And one such advancement... No. One such enhancement is the addition of advanced drone surveillance technologies, providing the company with market-leading situational awareness for mine clearing, counterterrorism, border security, and asset protection operations. They also have an online shop where you can purchase equipment or kit or items that you will or very, may very well need in if you work in post-conflict zones, which I know many HR listeners do, and they've got a discount code. So go to aardvark.group, hit the shop, and put in the discount code H H O U R when you check out, and you'll get money off. Thank you to Aardvark for sponsoring the podcast, and for all the support to the literature community in general. Legends. Also sponsoring the podcast today are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation. They were founded in 2009 uh, in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed on operations. Since forming, Rugby for Heroes have raised over £110,000 for military charities and military causes. And they do this through organising and hosting fundraising events uh, orca- basically revolving around beer and gin and rugby. And they've got their next event on the 26th of, uh, 26th of June, at the time of this podcast going out, that is in six days' time, okay? It is a free event. It is at Old Glamatonians RFC, it, it, right smack in the centre of England, okay? Easy to get to. There's going to be a, a shared load of people going. There's going to be three rugby matches being played. Um, Forces Barbarians are playing. Pacific Islanders are playing. Warwick Medics are playing. And Old Glamatonians Nomads are playing. Going to be veteran-owned companies there. There's going to be a massive section of the military community there, and it's going to be a great day, all in the aid of military charities. Please come. Go to rugbyforheroes.org, rugbyforheroes.org, to uh, find out information about tickets, but uh, it's actually easier if you go to their social media at rugby4heroes, rugby heroes on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn now, actually, yeah. Cool. Thank you to Mike and everybody at Rugby for Heroes for sponsoring the podcast. And for all that you do for the military community, you are legends. (coughs) That was my girlfriend sneezing. On to the podcast. My guest today is Jay Singh Sohal. Jay is a reservist. He is former Inc he has deployed in multiple operations. He recently stood for uh, to be the Police and Crime Commissioner for the West Midlands, and very narrowly lost. He achieves over a quarter of a million votes. He is—he's uh, gone into politics. He's a former uh, television journalist, and he's a really interesting cat. You're going to enjoy this one. This is the HR podcast. My name is Yuki and my guest today is Jay Simpson.
1: Again, absolute pleasure to have you in the studio for HR podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is amazing and uh, such a fantastic setup here. Really, really privileged to be to be here with you.
0: Thank you very much, mate. I've, I've worked on it and it has been enabled mm. by sponsors and patrons. So I'm extremely, extremely grateful. Um, and friends, I should say. And friends. Mm-hmm. Mate, so you... There's a lot. We've got a lot we can talk about here. You've got a very background, I would say... <laughs> journalist mm. right uh dabbling in politics yeah trying, to get, in. To, say, trying okay. to get in um documentary maker which is the first thing i want to talk about because yeah. you you obviously you, not obviously you seek yeah um and when we spoke on the phone we first put the phone when we were arranging the podcast mm. uh you mentioned about like seek heritage yeah. and it, it, it pinged my mind man yeah because Huge, huge heritage with the British, mm. British military, of which I don't know a lot. Okay. So, is that what the that you give me the DVD of uh, Saragari? Surag- Saragari, yeah, Suragari, exactly the that. The true yep. story. Is that what that is about?
1: That's exactly what that is about. Yeah. No, it's a good point. It's a good point to start. Actually, um, you know, obviously as a Sikh, as a British Sikh, proud of being both British and, and Sikh. I grew up in Birmingham in the city, of Birmingham in Hansworth, uh, and it was very much part and parcel of my identity growing up with my turban, beard, identity, and my family, religion. Culture, etc., um, and the stories of the fact that Sikhs had served Britain, you know, during Empire in India, during World War One, World War Two. But what the the documentary Surrogary is about is a, a lesser known uh, frontier battle, the Northwest Frontier, with, between um, modern day Pakistan and Afghanistan, uh, and the fact that 21 Sikh soldiers of the 36th um, Bengal Infantry at the time um, in 1897. Uh, uh, defended a small outpost against um, a tribal uprising. 10,000 enemy tribesmen rushed their positions uh, on the Samana, which is, like I said, in modern day... Uh, tribal Pakistan, um, and, and they were obviously slaughtered. Oops, I've hit you, Mike. There, They've, they were obviously slaughtered, and, and and they they fought to the last uh, against this. But it's it's an epic battle that really has stood the test of time in terms of telling the story of, of Sikh service and sacrifice for British interests in India.
0: If it, if it's all right with you, I'm going to watch this right, and I'm yeah. going to do, give it do a giveaway for my patrons. and I'll give it, I'll, I'll, I'll give it away. If that's all right. Well,
1: look, I've got plenty of copies for you. Tell me how many need, and I'll be happy to support you that way. Thousands,
0: thousands. <laughs> 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 I'll get. better <laughs> uh, yeah. no, I really appreciate it, mate. That's really yeah. interesting. So, um,
1: when was it? What you When, when were we talking? Yeah. What year were we talking? About so, this? the battle was in 1897. So, oh, uh, it was the height of you know Queen Victoria's reign. Uh, it was the height of um, kind of the, the kind of what I tend to call the the, the, the special friendship between Sikhs and 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 and, and Britishers. Um, at that time, you know, pre World War One, and, and we always, you know, look to to in historical terms, look at World War One and how things changed. Certainly, in India, but also with with how Indian soldiers fought. Before then, Indian soldiers were not sent anywhere to fight against Europeans. They were sent, particularly uh, Sikhs, were sent to East Africa. Uh, by the British to to for service there, but they they mainly uh, spent their time on uh, in Afghanistan um, with with the tribes and, and tribal uprisings there. So it was this area that was unruly, which was so important to British interests, and it's such an important part of our shared military history. Um, it's a battle that's still commemorated in India uh, every year. It's a battle that I I was able to uh, fortunately work on bringing back into um, recognition here. So every year since 2013, we've had an official. Army commemoration of the day, uh, as well. Uh, but it just stands a test of time in terms of telling this story of this service and contribution. Which you know, once you start scratching underneath the surface and getting into it, you can have all sorts of conversations about history, heritage, the military, the fact that you know British officers uh, served and fought alongside people from, from diverse cultures and religions, and had that respect for them and that, and that understanding. Uh, it's a really, really good conversation starter and an important part of our, um, a part of our uh, history. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep. Uh, i Sorry, keep no, I've left all the cameras <laughs> on No worries. No so, c- so,
0: question for you. Yeah, go on. Um And if do you know, what, if you don't, well, no, got, I never give this option. I'm going to say if you don't want to discuss it, then don't. But question for you is: um at the moment, not at the moment. There seems to be, or there has been, especially mm-hmm. last year, an increase in uh, mm-hmm. poor look on colonialism. Right? Yeah. Uh so from you so and, and the Sikh involvement and not just Sikh but any of the mm. any of the countries that mm. uh, ended up fighting for the British Empire, as it yeah. were, um would be sort of well within the rights to go, actually we're not very happy with that because of the yeah. way it all came about. But there's obviously things to be proud of. What's the can I ask what the what that kind of opinion on it is in terms of indian Sikh involvement in what was the british empire and yeah. now yeah you know one day in inverted commas woke isn't i'm just using mm. that term not because mm. i don't I like this well I use the term, but you
1: know what i'm getting I, I, I get absolutely yeah. get where you're getting from okay. and it's it's a, it's an interesting debate uh, and i'm i'm always happy to have this conversation in this debate and i don't certainly don't like it with with when people say oh you can't talk about this or you have to do this or you know, it's too jingoistic or like you said you know, it's too woke to not it, recognize whatever it's too whatistic jingoistic Jingoism is like, you know, you just kind of, you know, the Brits are and, you know, <laughs> Empire. <laughs> yeah, and all that. I, I'm yeah. being a really, really bad impression because clearly I'm not a jingo. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point is, look, my view um, on history and, and certainly as a Sikh, my view on British uh, history, certainly with, with Empire in India, is, you know, it's, it's not black and white. It is so many different shades of grey. Uh, there are so many different facets. It's so, I don't want to say complicated, but it's, it's so interesting that it's it's not right and acceptable to say, you know, it's right and wrong. And therefore, you know, if you, if you do research or you're talking about it, you know, you're either on our side or against us or whatever. You've really, really got to talk about history and these events, warts and all. So, of course, there will be different perspectives, people coming at it from different, pers- you know, ways of thinking um, about empire and what empire meant and what happened and what was right and what was wrong and all that. But, you know, you, it's not black and white. And you have to have these conversations. And the way you have these conversations is by being open and accessible to that history. So, of course, I talk about Frontier. I talk about why Sikhs fought for Britain. Uh, In the documentary, I go into quite a lot of detail. There's a lot of primary original research that I've done. Um, I originally wrote a book on it. And my aspiration as a filmmaker was always to make a film. Um, But it's multifaceted. But we have to be able to have these conversations. Uh, we can't just say it's right or wrong. And and, and to to bring it into the modern day and the the era that we kind of are living in now, the difficulty I I sense is, you know, there are so many, let's say, malign actors and malign entities that, you know, want to damage us and what we're about and our confidence in our country. You know, we've got to be a lot more resilient to it. And the way we're resilient about it is by saying, look, you know what? We will have these conversations. We will talk about history and empire and we won't get upset or... Um, or sensitive about things that we might disagree with, but we've got to have those conversations, regardless of what position you're on. You know, you, you've you've got to delve into this, uh, and therefore, you know, my unique take on this, and coming back to to, to part of the question that you're asking. Yeah, there there are plenty of people who who are either supportive uh, from the Indian community. This is um, of of these sorts of programs and the kind of work I've done, but there are also people who who disagree with it, um, and they you know they might be the the kind of people who who promote cancel culture—they won't invite me to their functions or to speak, uh, which is up to them. But you know, we're never gonna, as a nation, as a, and as a, certainly as a nation full of diverse communities, we're never gonna be able to come together and move forward unless we have these conversations. Um, and that's always been my my motivation, um, effectively, as as a journalist from a very young age, is to tell stories and have these conversations.
0: Um, when did you? When when were you last working as a? journalist because you stopped. Yeah oh.
1: um, so I left journalism officially in 2015 when I deployed on operations um, but I've been journalistic um, since then I've written articles you know I, I, I still continue to write and any chance I get I will write um, but in terms of being a you know um, a an impartial uh, neutral journalist um, I would say the last time was about
0: 2015. What have you, have you... What's the journey of? What have you have you noticed anything about the journey of journalism mm. over the last few years? Um, any any thoughts on that? I, yeah. I have strong opinions about journalism at the moment. Right, mm. they're not the most positive opinions. Mm. Okay, um, but I also understand the challenges mm. that journalists, journalism, news outlets, media outlets uh, have have yeah. that they need to overcome. Um, I'd love to hear someone yeah. like you what your thoughts on the current situation. Yeah. If there is a situation.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't think, if I went back to a news, any television newsroom, I, I was a television journalist, if I went into any television newsroom, I don't think I would feel comfortable anymore. Um, I think, um, you know, whether it's because um, there's too much agenda setting or editorialisation, um, or whether it's because, um, you know, journalism today seems to be more about chasing ratings rather than actually telling the story, and telling the story in a very... Um, you know, impartial way, which holds a mirror up, uh, which is why I got into journalism in the first place to tell those stories from diverse communities, people who weren't being, re- you know, represented in media. Um, I think I'd feel uncomfortable, which is why I've I, I never did after operations. I never went back into the newsroom in that way as a as a full time journalist. But I continued writing because with my writing. Um, when I could get stuff written into the, you know, the De- Daily Telegraph or Conservative Home, for example, it came with you know with my opinions and views as a small C Conservative, um, predominantly, um, and someone who is willing to to share their opinion in that way. And it's the dis- it's the it's the difference I think we have with broadcast and print. In broadcast, you have to be impartial and neutral. You can't be a card carrying party member. Whereas in print, it's different. But I think you know we. Uh, it, the difference Say that again. has been Say that again. so in broadcast journalism so it's television and radio you have to be impartial um, as a journalist, as a journalist, yeah.
0: When did <laughs> that rule yeah. doesn't exist anymore? <laughs> it's, it's changed
1: a lot. It's, it's changed a lot because of editorialisation. You know, you've got you've got newsrooms, news outlets, programs that will take an editorial line, and, and and a really you know a good example of that is probably Newsnight, for example, on BBC News. They will go into uh, into uh, you know an, an issue with a strong editorial line. And I saw this when I was you know meaning they're taking with, one,
0: side or the mean. one side of the other, not necessarily
1: one side of the other. They probably wouldn't say that. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to possibly end up defending them here but their their editorial line is we're going to look at the story from this perspective um can you give an example oh gosh uh yes you know what with gb news with with the launch of gb news recently yeah there's a good example of of that with the um I, i read um on how different news outlets and stations were covering the uk australia free trade agreement for example. And as most um, channels were covering it in a particular way of saying, you know, what will this mean in terms of, you know, farmers or what, or whatever, um, GB News seems to be doing it in a very different way, which is talking about how consumers would benefit. So, you know, when you when you look at a story, taking an editorial line, deciding actually what's your angle, how you're going to, you know, cover it, is is important because you're framing that that issue or that or that story in a particular way. Um, and, and therefore it lends itself probably, you know, again, as a habit of a former journalist uh, defending other journalists, probably not necessarily to, to show bias, but it certainly does show a particular view coming from a, a program or an entity, whether they like it or not, it will be there. Um, You know, similarly with the issue around at the moment with with COVID and lockdown and restrictions, you know, certain shows and television uh, outlets will will ask specific questions about whether this is right and justifiable. You know, should we have um, furlough being extended Um, with GB News and others now that, you know, with the plethora of media that you've got, you've got this ability to look at it from a different perspective and a different angle um so it's it's important to have you know different conversations and different ways of covering that conversation in stories um what has happened traditionally and certainly when i was in the newsroom working in news was you know I'd, I'd go into my newsroom and you know it'd be like oh such and such is covering it this way and therefore we have to go get that as well that pack mentality was always there and i certainly felt it and when i was trying to bring original stories in um, and it wasn't really going anywhere i certainly felt actually you know, in a live, rolling, breaking 24-hour newsroom, you know, there, there wasn't much appetite for, for doing things differently uh, because you're chasing audiences.
0: <clears throat> Can you do me a favor and just lower that mic slightly? Yeah, like of, course, get, get of course. Down, down, down. down okay. you yep. so, you're booming through, mate. You're a Very seasoned booming. pro at the old, uh, the old interview, so it's... Uh, um, What was going to ask you then? So, what influences how... Uh, organization chooses the editorial line well,
1: this is it it's it's your editors it's your editors it's your program editors it's your you know your heads of news um uh, and and whatnot um and you know they might very well be people who are you know oxbridge graduates or come from it from a, a very very um, metropolitan perspective for example you know all our major news uh, studios are london-based for example we're here in the West Midlands. So, you know, you get a very, very different flavour of, of stories when you're London-centric, as opposed to, you know, if you're in Newcastle or Manchester or Birmingham, for example. So, you know, these are all factors that come into play because, you know, at the end of the day, it will always be a judgement. It will always be a judgement call. Um, but I think, you know, we, we see now, certainly with social media and it's, you know, there's pros and cons of it, we see so many... W- so so much now in terms of news proliferation, there is so much news out there. So much ability to find information and news and, and connect it to your worldview. But at the same time, we're still gravitating towards established brands, established organisations, established entities who still have that level of you know authority um, and and position within within the market to be able to to tell those stories.
0: Mm, interesting. Mm. I'm really enjoying this chat already, mate. Um, GB News. Mm. What's your thoughts on it?
1: I think it's a breath of fresh air. I, I genuinely do, and I, I know some of the people who are working on it. Uh, and indeed, uh, the director of television there is uh, a former colleague of mine um, as well. Um, but I think it's it's just it's it's long overdue to have a channel that's just more positive, and and, and certainly wants to approach stories more positively. But also do things differently as well. So I've I've got high hopes, um, and I hope that they they continue going the way they're going because I think we need it. We need a bit more positivity about what we're about as a nation.
0: Yeah, I was talking to the I was like I had it. I don't. I've been BBC. And I stopped watching the BBC. I stopped watching the BBC. And I stopped going. I even I've even blocked it from my browser. So if I type mm-hmm. in BBC on my browser, it's got this comedy like granny picture comes up. Ah. <laughs> No way, Jose. <laughs> Go back, and I can't even access it. Right, and again, that's not. Uh, it's not hmm. p- a particularly. I'm not like particularly slagging off the BBC. Mm. It's more because Sky is the same, for example, right? It's more. I was getting frustrated at the complete one-sidedness of this. Yeah. Other. I mean, BBC blatant, blatantly like far left, hard left. man. It's like Jesus Christ. Don't get me started. And I just want. <laughs> yeah. I want impartiality. Yeah. Like I understand that there are going to be certain articles or certain journalists or certain things that are going to have one, are going to swing one way or the other, mm. you know, mm. left or right. I understand that. You're going to get variation throughout an organisation, right? Yeah. Whatever the organisation is. What I don't want is things to be blatantly wholly one way or the other. I want it partially. Sky does the same thing. Yeah. Anyway, going back, right? Sorry. Yeah. I feel strongly about this, right? So I was trying to, so I ended up having, I thought, right, I'll have a look at GB News and, uh, and my first thoughts were before I even watched it, It's like, again, what are the, what people do are think mm. who who is completely against it is it? okay, first off, it's got GB in the name, mm. so it must be right wing. Mm. You know, <laughs> and like I say, what's it's going to be? <laughs> right? And you see the you see, you see names. And I flicked it on, <laughs> I had it on, I, I couldn't get it on. I've got a Roku um, TV stick. Yeah, yeah? yeah. I, I haven't got Sky and uh-huh. Pikey, I don't watch my TV. <laughs> so I had to get on my browser. I had it on for a morning, I so thought I'll stick it on. And see what I think. Just, just in the background. Yeah. I, I don't do that with anything. I'll put Sky on sometimes in the morning for ten minutes, only because Sky is the only thing on my mm. TV that does news. Right, <laughs> add it on. First off, it's a bit rough. Bit rough around the edges, right? Yeah. Bit, bit rough around the edges. Okay, in terms of production. Mm. But again, startup probably hasn't got uh, access to loads of funding. Yeah. Second off, <clears throat> um, I was very fortunate to catch the clip of I can't remember her name. Is it Gloria? And she, I don't know if you saw this on the news, uh, it, was in, it was in the metro, but mm-hmm. she, they, they, it cuts from one, whatever scene, not scene, story, whatever, comes back to the newsroom. She sat there with the other guy, I forget mm-hmm. the names. She doesn't realize they're on. She knows they're about to come off, so you counted in probably, and mm-hmm. she gives double birds to the camera. Oh. Then <laughs> she <then> goes, <laughs> then, <laughs> <yeah, laughs> then she says, yeah, really, mate? Then she goes, oh I'll come back I was like can I just see what I just thought probably flipping like, the bird to someone in the gallery quality, it was quality it was yeah. quality right yeah. um, that was that, so that amused me but what I did like about mm. it was you had the variation Yeah. it wasn't all left it yeah. wasn't all right you had variation to be honest I didn't notice it was overly all positive stuff I didn't notice that but there was variation there mm. and that's what I liked and the other thing about it was it's something else it's mm it's something it's an alternative option to yeah. the mainstream not the ma- not mainstream the main stuff out because mm. people well I'm sick of it and that's the only reason they put it on mm. is because it's something different and then I exactly
1: it. now exactly that and I've not gone back to, to watching BBC or Sky I mean my age-old habit was to have one of the live rolling news channels on in the background J- Sorry, just
0: as a caveat yeah like, I have journalist friends as mm. you do you're mm. a journalists mm. Um or were and I you know and some of them work for some of these organizations Brilliant. I'm mm. not slagging you off, but,
1: yeah. You know. mm. But I, I suppose what what, it, what it's a recognition of is the fact that, <laughs> that you know. That a very good uh, disclaimer. <laughs> no, but, you know, <laughs> uh, like within traditional media, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> don't get me started on the BBC, <laughs> but um, genuinely. Um, but I suppose what the recognition is is that, you know, you have that pack mentality. You know, journalists have the pack mentality. You know, why have they got that exclusive? Why have they got that interview? Why did we not get it? You know, something happens and it's always, you know, um, from my experience of, of, of working within the newsroom, it's like you know the top five people that you're going to get on are, are always usually the same people. So where are the different different you know different diverse voices? But the key thing I think is, is is timely and you know not to overpromote GB news if anybody else is doing this out there, I think it's really important to to recognize them as well. but it's the fact that we've got to a stage now where you know when I was news producing producing packages, you know packages were ninety to one hundred and twenty seconds two minutes you've got two minutes to tell a story. That's no time really. And what I'm liking now more and more now is we're, 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 we're going in a direction where actually um, we're spending more time delving into stories, individual item stories, issues, and spending longer debating and discussing it. And, and really, that's the, you know, there's more journalism within that, you know, spending five, six, seven minutes in one segment about one issue. And with that forensic Q&A getting to the heart of an issue, rather than saying, okay, we've only got two minutes for this, let's, you know, ask the top questions and go for that gotcha moment that we can replay again and again and clip it up and put it on social. You know, I think there's a genuine appetite now out there for people who want depth in, in the information that they're being presented and they want a bit more... Um, you know, a bit more integrity in the questioning to find out the truth of of what people's positions are, really. And that's refreshing.
0: How can that be achieved, though? And how can that be achieved? Or how can we get media news outlets uh, to do that? Mm. When it's not what generates the money.
1: Now this is the thing. So it's the job of the BBC as a public service broadcaster. They don't have to worry about advertising and ad revenues, you know. But they don't do it because, again, you know, my opinion on this is, you know, and we see this, the, you know, the BBC is chasing gongs and chasing awards and wanting to be, you know, channel of the year and whatnot. Um, and and therefore, you know, we don't get that depth um, within the stories that we should be getting. But also then the position and the editorialization is always there as well um and and it's it's i think it's it's got to be a recognition that actually you know what do your audience what does what does a customer want but also what's good for public debate you know we can chase you know uh, headlines or you can chase um you know ad spend all day long traditional media dying media. It's all, you know, a lot of it now is digital. It's on social. But, you know, what sort of a country, what sort of debate do we want within our country? We want something where people are properly informed about what's been going on. And the Brexit issues is a, a really good example of this. Not surface level, not the kind of the slogans that we know you get used on campaigns all the time, but actually have a bit of deeper understanding on the issues and how it impacts them. Um, and and, and Brexit is always going to be a really good example of this in terms of how people in the Midlands and the North saw our relationship with europe as opposed to how metropolitan elites down the south down in south and in london saw our relationship with europe and there was always going to be a difference there but we never properly investigated that
0: go into that then because i don't know mm.
1: Explain. Mm. explain explain elaborate on that please yeah. yeah so so where i'm from um in 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 the west midlands in terms of areas like sandwell for example wolverhampton warsaw dudley's a really good example as well um it was the fact that people thought you know we're not um we're not benefiting. Um, from from that relationship, we're spending a hell of a lot more money sending it to to the EU. What are we seeing here in terms of jobs, investment, growth, and also the ability to make those decisions locally as well? Um, and and therefore, you know, you could see why a lot of people in traditionally working areas um, were were supportive of um, leaving the European Union. You know, controlling our own immigration issues here as well. Um, you know, but f- for for a very long time, you know, if you if you only ever watched a channel. Um, like the BBC, you you wouldn't think that those views were prevalent. You'd think actually, you know, uh, it was very much about how important the union is and what it does for us. But you know, we've for far too long we've had far too many people's voices not going heard, um, and and that certainly that vault was an example of 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 them having their say.
0: It's also about stability, right? I didn't realise this. I think it's also about your desire for stability. Uh, um, I was talking to shortly after. I uh, said I was talking to. Shortly after the the, the Brexit uh, mm. vote, you know, and it's like holy shit, <laughs> we are leaving. and uh, we voted to leave. I was talking to someone who is from I'm not going to say the gender right because mm. I don't want to because ind- they may know who they are. Uh, from a very very well off family, very very well off family, mm-hmm. in a somewhere not too far from London, um, and this person absolutely could not believe. Could not believe that the vote had been lost couldn't believe it because mm. all they saw was everyone I know, everyone I know mm. w- is wants to stay, wants to remain. I was like man, like most people I know wants to leave mm. now one mm-hmm. that person is not from the same class of no. society as I am, right, <laughs> definitely yeah. not, and it i it, it was interesting to me because when i when i was just i've thought about it years it's like it's a, when you when you are when you are uh, more uh um what's the word um you can impact you're more influential on mm-hmm. on a business mm-hmm. um you're a ceo or you are higher up the tree in a business you know a senior manager or whatever you do mm-hmm. okay you it's in your interests for stability in the external inf- factors that yep. can like influence your yep. organization. Either the pestle analysis, mm-hmm. like political, economical, sociological, flipping, what is it, uh, technological, legal and environmental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in your interest to maintain stability. So for the minority of the UK who are mm-hmm. have the majority of the money,
1: yeah. the high, higher up the class mm. you go
0: yeah the more important stability is to you financial stability is to you political stability is to you economical stability is to you mm. then the less you want change mm-hmm. like leaving the eu but the reality is the the people uh, the, uh, in the vote majority yeah. of people in the vote they aren't those people yeah you know if we I, there was a lot there was a lot of class was brought into it um in in uh, it, you know into the whole in the build up to that uh, brexit I did not think we'd be getting Brexit, by the way. Sorry, I did not think we'd get onto Brexit, but (laughs) (laughs) we were onto it now. But it was um, a a lot of class class politics came into it, and there's more there's more people who aren't haven't got a lot of money. There is I've got a lot of money, and at the time, Mm. people wanted change. People yeah. are not happy, and when it's an opportunity to change, it may not have been mm. the EU that was causing all the mm. issues, but it wasn't the EU that
1: was all the is, issues. But the, the, the debate in, a, in, a, in another way is continuing on. Though it's the, the whole levelling up agenda, the fact that you know the government is the current government is is you know looking to invest in you know in the north, in the Midlands, you know with uh, jobs, uh, housing, and of course you know those sorts of things are, are really more important now with post-COVID and the recovery. But you know it's 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 a recognition actually that a large chunk of the country for a very long time. Um, wasn't getting those opportunities and those investments, whether it be transport, whether it be um, you know creation of jobs, and 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 so there is a, there's a clear agenda that that's being delivered on. But again, it, it goes back to you know fundamentally, it goes back to the fact that you know people are different and diverse um, up and down the country, and, and you know having that ability to listen and understand and, and be able to articulate um, is is really important. It's certainly the reason why I got into journalism. Like I said, you know growing up in the city Birmingham. Um, I always felt that no one was interested in my story, my community story, or what was going on in, 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 in those sorts of areas. And, and that's what really got me into wanting to write my own publication in the beginning. When I was 16, I got funding from the Prince's Trust. Um, and my, my writing career started from then, and, and the rest in terms of my journalism you know, carried on from that point.
0: Classic question about your experience growing up there. Yeah. Uh, have you ever lived in any other, or spent significant time in any other major city or lived anywhere else during your life?
1: Yes, I have. Um, So um, I left Birmingham at the age of 18 to go to university, uh, London. I was at Brunel, uh, Uxbridge. And um, after, well, during my my undergrad, I I did a year abroad in in the States. So I went to New York and Washington. Um, I worked in Washington, studied in New York. Um, And then when I got back, uh, carried on, I did another year in London. And then when I qualified as a broadcast journalist, I, I, I worked all over the country with ITV. So Devon and Cornwall through to, um, I was in Southampton for a period, in Nottingham, uh, London again as well. So I've been around <laughs> quite a bit.
0: So here's the question. Yeah. Is that, uh, do you think that you, there are higher, do you think there is, it's areas in cities like where you grew up, mm. a lot of diversity, there's mm-hmm. um, a, a huge population of people who aren't uh, British white, mm. okay, because you can get British, yeah. not white. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Obviously, right. Like, do you think uh, that in in that environment we get lots of different cultures? Um, that is, it's more. Uh, what's the word? There's less chance. There's there's, there's less instances of racism, or more. And when I say, I'm not on numbers, mm. percentage wise. Yeah. Like, because, yeah. That's my question. I won't waffle on uh, it.
1: It's an interesting one. I think. You have, you know, you have areas or communities that are diverse, where people live side by side, um, that might not necessarily, you know, be more more harmonious than, than you'd expect or imagine, because people aren't talking to one another. And that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, you know, regardless of where you live, whether you live in... Um, you know Sutton, where I am at the moment, or, or Hansworth, where I grew up. If you don't chat to your neighbours, who who might be from different walks of life or different, or indeed it might even be like you, might be from a, you know, my my my, my neighbours who are Indian when I was growing up in Hansworth were from different parts of the Punjab. They might have been Pakistani and from the other other part of Punjab uh, in Pakistan rather than India. They might have been from other parts of India. Um, but if you don't talk to them and you don't break down those barriers of course you're going to have those issues you can have those tensions you can have that lack of understanding and what it comes down to at the end of the day whether you have got diverse communities living side by side or not or you have got homogenous communities uh, is um you know you've you've got these issues when people aren't talking to one another they don't trust one another because they don't know one another uh, and it's interesting c- connecting it to crime and and something i discovered a very long time ago actually but it was always in the four of my mind when I ran for uh, recently for police and crime commissioner was that you know crime goes down in areas where there's neighborhood watches um researchers found when you have a neighborhood watch in an area you know crime tends to go down not ne- not necessarily because you know you've got people out on the streets and they're patrolling and they're keeping criminals away it's not it's because n- people know one another's names they, they they say hi derek hi you know john hi steve more cohesion yeah, more cohesion and they look out for one another you know, and, and, and I can certainly think, you know, where I live currently at the moment, you know, I can walk up and down and everyone knows me now because I've been <laughs> putting leaflets through their doors with my name on it, trying to get elected. But the, <laughs> the point with, with that is, you know, I know all my neighbors and they know me and we can say hi to one another. And, you know, uh, you have that cohesion, you have that cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that's what you know makes a big difference in your communities. It makes a difference when it comes to crime and criminality. People looking out for one another and making sure, you know, Betty next door, who's who's just had an hip operation, is okay and she's not being, you know, she's not having any problems. Or um, the kids that are a bit, you know, raucous and they're always playing out front are okay and you know no one's bothering them, etc. Because you look after your neighbours. And you know where you have um, diverse communities living side by side. It's a, it's exactly the same. You know people need to talk to one another, and when they do, you can find actually communities coming together because of that cohesion.
0: Mm. That is interesting on well, the neighbourhood watch mm. front. Yeah, it doesn't happen because. But of... it's,
1: uh, let me give you another thing as well. I I, I mentioned um, you know I, I I spent quite a bit of time in Devon and Cornwall, um, and and you know coming from the sort of background I come from as as a Sikh confident in who I am and my appearance and and me as a person you know I never had any problems talking to anyone of any background and, and and you could probably imagine some parts of uh, rural Devon where <laughs> it might be a bit strange, where someone who's you know very different to 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 the locality comes up and <laughs> says hi and all that. So I've I've had a few interesting uh, conversations in my time. Have you tried that in the Welsh valleys yet? <laughs> yeah, not in the Welsh valleys. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, it, it nearly got me in trouble a couple of times actually. But I was also a very nosy journalist looking for stories as well. So you know, they probably wouldn't have been wrong to try uh, when they did report me to <laughs> to do that. How do you? How does it? How
0: does it, how does somewhere over, how does somewhere overcome areas where there's you got that isolation between uh, cultural groups, ethnic mm. groups, um, because that's because I mean, talk about Birmingham, talk, or yeah. talking about London, or talking about any big city like that. Mm. You, I think, you know, in general, you are much more you we mm. you are sort of much more accepting of the differences between the cultures because mm. you're just exposed to it visually all the yeah. time. But it's also where radicalisation is born on both sides. When I say on both sides, I mean like white, mm. flipping, lunatic, mm. nationalist, mm. R- relic- radicalization or not. How did you get both sides talking to each other? That's How did point. you overcome that?
1: I, I, I've done quite a lot of work on, on engagement, um, you know, unofficially as a journalist, but also as a filmmaker and, and, and as someone who's run projects. You've got to find con- common denominators. And you know, we talked about surrogate, we talked about you know, seat contribution and, on, on, you know, during the World Wars and all that. My, my thing has always been to, to utilize that shared history that uh, shared sense of service as as a common denominator that can bring people together, uh, whether it be, you know, World War One, World War Two on the frontier or, or whatever. Uh, then and now, to this day, you've got, you know, you've got Indians, you've got people that look like me and people that look like you who serve side by side in the British Army, for example. You know, there are common denominators. I, I When I was touring with some of my projects, I took it up to, um, up to Scotland and, and, and some of those parts of Scotland where you've got small vo- you know minority communities. Similarly, it was finding a common denominator. You can just get people around the table or together in a, in a school hall and say, let's talk about our shared history, our shared past. You know, when people realise actually they've got more in similarity, more in common with one another than than what divides them, you can start having those conversations. You can start breaking down those barriers. But you will always inevitably get people who you know who who, who push to the fringes. You know, you're absolutely right with that, and it's it's a tough one. Um, and, you know, you've got to ensure that they're they're in a minority by, by by making it an unacceptable thing that, you know, isn't, you know, you don't shun it. You don't turn it off and you say, you know, but you've, you've got to find ways of bringing those people back into the fold. But, you know, by and large, you know, we've got to focus more on our similarities rather than our differences. And when people who are, you know, extreme in views, for example, whether they be political or, or anything else, um, realize actually that they're in a minority. If not, you know, they're standing in in, in, a, in a group of one. Um, by and large, you can start changing behaviors. It's when you start give it, making excuses, you know, the whole woke thing, you know, making excuses or allowing people to feel that actually it's acceptable to, to be intolerant in that way. That people can get away with it because they think they've got an audience. More so now on social media, you wouldn't believe, you know, some of the stuff I've seen on social media, and, and also kind of receives in terms of abuse. But you know, people do think it's it's acceptable when you know someone you know gives them a like. Uh, we've got to stop that sort of stuff. Mm, that is
0: a challenge, and that is a challenge on the old social media front. But yeah, I mean, I mean, on, on the on the on the on the racism front. They are going in the right direction. Um, It is reducing. And it's also a generational thing. Mm. You know, the reality is that, I don't know, 50 years ago, two generations ago, Mm. you know, 60s, 70s, that it completely existed in, in in massive, you know, in mm. legislation to, yeah. to separate people on based on based on race, right? And the further we get away from that, the further you get away from people who still have that mindset mm. because it's the way they're brought up. Um, anyway, let's get off that topic. <laughs> right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I do want to get off because I want to come back on to uh, the stuff we are going to talk about. Um, PCC, Police and Crime Commissioner, mm. mate. Unfortunately, you didn't get voted in. However, mm-hmm. you, did you not achieve a quarter of a million votes?
1: Yeah, I did, 259,000 votes. Holy shit. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank right,
0: you. Um, what was that? how? What brought you there? Why did you end up standing for Police and Crime Commissioner? For where? What was it for?
1: Well, the whole of the West Midlands, so the seven boroughs of the West Midlands, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a big area, so everything from Dudley down to Coventry, Wolverhampton, Solihull, Birmingham, Sandwell, um, uh, uh, Walsall. Yeah. Um, it's a big area, big area, three million people. Now, look, um, it... it you're a big lad. Yeah, it is a, and it was a two-year journey as well. I was told it was a six-month project, and it turned out to be two years with with lockdown <laughs> and everything. No, I always wanted to go into politics. You know, politics was, you know, where I I, I always wanted to go. Um, I always saw it as as a way of you know um, speaking up for people who who don't have that opportunity to speak. You know, representing people who don't feel that they are being heard uh, and and, and undertaking a public duty in that way, that's always been really important to me. Uh, But when I got asked if I was interested in in, in the West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner role, it kind of, you know, I thought about it for a second. I was like, well, hang on a second. You know, what does the role do? The the, the three important parts of the the PCC's role across whichever force area within uh, police force area, it may be is to hold the, the chief constable to account who's in charge of operational decisions when it comes to policing in that area. It's to set the budget of the police force, or where the money goes, and it's to set the strategic direction of that force as well. And I thought, well, you know, I've got some serious issues where I live. They're trying to close our police station, they're taxing us more money, and yet we're not seeing more bobbies on the beat. So, you know, I feel quite connected to this because there's, there's a change here I want to see in my locality, but it's also a change I want to see in other areas that are deprived and, and, and feeling the effects of crime as well. So it kind of started making sense to think, actually, I, could, I can make a difference here. And that's, that's why I went for it when, when I was asked, would you? And I was like, actually, I can make a difference. I've got some ideas. I can bring some really interesting ideas from my career as a journalist or as a, as a soldier or within community engagement and actually, you know, drive something here. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a step into politics, but I can kind of slightly sidestep a bit of the party political stuff because it should be above party politics. It should be a role that, you know, you're you're working for the safety and security of everyone regardless of party position and therefore you can get away f- with you know not being political you know you don't have to be party political uh, in that way although you know i represent a party i'm proud to, to to be a member of a political party in the conservatives um and have been for a very long time so so that was kind of what the driver and the, the motivator was for it and 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 you know i as i said i've, I've got a An army background, not necessarily a policing background, but the more I kind of got into it, the more I thought, actually, you know what, there are some ideas, there's policies that I developed that I've, you know, felt were the right way of of going about it and moving things forward. Um, and yeah, and we had a we had a um we had an election a few weeks ago, and you're the you're the first interview I'm doing since then, since I came second or since I lost, let's be honest, I lost, um, by 40,000 votes, which is a a kicker, yeah, seven percent um but you know but as you say you know there's a significant number of uh of uh i pulled in so something to be proud of but also you know move the debate along i I, i'm I'm proud of the fact that i move the debate onto issues that people care about in in places like dudley and sandwell west bromwich for example in in coventry um in, in in parts of birmingham aston you know we've got knife crime you've got serious murders and issues taking place you've got um, you know, antisocial behaviour. You've got not enough being done uh, to tackle um, so-called low-level crimes, which irk people the most. Um, and we've we've been, you know, I felt the campaign I fought was 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 successful in getting a lot of these issues onto the agenda. Unfortunately, I'm I'm not there to be able to, to implement and, and and do anything about it, but someone else is. Um, but hey, that's that's politics. You know, it's 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 a it's a tough game. Mm, it's a tough game. You were
0: talking about when we did the patron exclusive interview Mm -hmm. right before this. You mentioned honesty and integrity. How does that? How do you balance? How does that work in politics? I don't know. I haven't quite figured it out yet. Do you know what I? And the reason I ask is, I know, I know, decent, good people are in politics, right? And yeah, you being one of them, right? (laughs) And. you know, MPs and stuff. Yeah. And I also know that oh
1: God. It's a dirty game, isn't oh, it? Oh Christ, yeah. it's a dirty game. And it's a
0: dirty, dirty game. Yeah. And how does that play I, I just how would you how would you man how would you manage that as in terms mm. of you know in terms of your sort of morals and ethics and knowing that Sometimes mm-hmm. to get what needs to be, d- there's reasons, right, for being dishonest. Mm-hmm. I understand it. I mean, mm-hmm. we sort of touched. On it. There's reasons for being dishonest. There are reasons why information or data that later becomes known to the public isn't shared at the time, and it's accused of manipulation, or or there are lies made. I understand why. Mm-hmm. If you told the whole of the general Joe public all of the pieces of the pie, okay, we would be in a w- all the reasons, like decisions are made and blah 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 at the highest levels. We it would not be a pretty state that we're in. It is not. Yeah. I understand it. I mean But how how are you gonna how do you navigate that minefield?
1: I'm I'm trying to figure it out to be perfectly honest. Look, I, I came to this thinking, you know what, I, I wanna be able to hold my head up with my kids and other people's kids and, and within you know, within the wider community and wider society and say actually, you know what, the, 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 the values that you know that I, I, I stand by you know, you see drills if you like. Um, but the values that I, I feel are really important are values that I espouse, and that's how I want to inspire others. Um, and you know, and I think it's important to do that. At least you know to recognise you're you're going into the process with, with 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 uh, you know a set of ethics that um, you know, yeah, they'll get tested. They'll they'll you know over time they'll they will be really you know. Um, possibly even watered down or or, or or worked on um but i think it's important if you if you you know to to, to, to take the moral high ground but like i said you know I, I i felt i did so but i i didn't win and i don't know if i if i had one whether you know i would be challenged in that way but i think it's 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 a very human thing to think you know i'm gonna stand by this set of cold principles and, and 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 to be challenged to, to do so, whether it be only in your head or whether it be within a circle of peers or friends or, or even family who, who you can share that with. But look, I'll give you a, 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 an example. You know, on the campaign trail, I was accused of all sorts. I'm not going to go into detail, but um, I was accused of all sorts. I was called all sorts of things uh, by all sorts of people. Um, and, you know, my, my team kept telling me, you know, you've just got to rise above it you've got to rise above it and there was stuff that there were things that were being said that i felt really strongly about you know i didn't get upset about it but i was just fucking pissed off like you know how the how can anyone say that about me you know do they know who i am do they know what i've done do they know what you know i've achieved no they don't because it's politics and politics is making shit stick uh to to you know to to malign your opponents or to make sure people don't vote for them and there was all sorts of stuff going on you know some of it um a lot of it i know about um but uh, Quite a bit of it was was under the radar, being accused of all sorts of stuff. Um, but you've you, you've just got to focus on the mission. That's what it's it's got to be about. That. But in terms of, you know, I always felt strongly about, you know, the, the kind of person or the characters characteristics I wanted to 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 abide by or 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 have in office. Um, should I be elected to office? And I think that's not changed at all. Um, you know, I, I still think it's it's important to be a person of character in public life, um, yeah, and even if it's under tension, if it's you know, if it's if it's under stress in terms of, you know, for example, giving someone your word or making a promise and then feeling you you know, or, or not being able to deliver it. But you've, you've you know, I just think you've got to be honest about it. We 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 now need to see in our country, um, dialogue. And, and discourse that is more honourable than than it what it has been in the past, and I think we will get there. I think there's, there's you mean in politics in politics, yeah, um, within politics, um, and I think we will get there. I think we will get there when we've got some good people coming through. We've got quite a few people from you know former military backgrounds, for example, who've been elected and and, and are in the Commons, uh, and we've we've got to keep working on ensuring that people who've got that you know public service background are coming forward as well and stepping forward to serve as well that's the only way we're going to make change happen
0: are you aware of um, oh God, it's going to kill me uh campaign uh oh Johnny, campaign Johnny ball yeah, yeah I know Johnny ball. sorry Johnny, <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, had him in my head I had him <laughs> in my head, stand up serve again his slogan yeah you you know Johnny yeah I know Johnny Johnny's yeah.
1: Johnny's my former cat badge um with Incorso, Corso, Johnny and I, our careers, well, I keep knocking your eye, our careers have kind of like ran almost parallel, but yeah, he's a good guy, he's a really, really good guy. Good
0: guy. And, uh, so yeah, I know what you mean, I, I understand what you mean, um, in, I agree, getting more ex-service personnel, into politics mm-hmm. would, would help steer it in the right direction, but I do think that it, ah, oh, man, one of the it's things I think it. is maybe, is the, is the the length of term that PM serves, is that too long, too
1: short? PM or MPs or PM PM. Too well, short. Sure? You know, you know. We we've you, you, no. I don't think it's too short. Um, I think because we have a you know parliamentary democracy with first past the pulse that leads to a strong government and a strong opposition. Um, you know the way our volta system works ensures we have that, and that's really really important. And and therefore the you know the system favours the leader of the majority winning party. And and therefore, there's a lot of onus on people at the end of the day. I mean, I see arguments all the time about proportional representation, but we, I think, have the best system in the world with with our current first-past-the-pulse system. And therefore, in terms of, you know, the the, the Prime Minister, um, as long as the Prime Minister is able to to carry the support of the Parliamentary Party and and, and the country in that way, you know, it ensures that we have a strong Prime Minister.
0: All sorts of noises going on out there, no. yeah. I've just funny. realized you haven't got your headphones on, so you can't hear it. Or uh, you can hear it better than me, yeah. Well, there's a rugby match on, so uh, I, I, I don't know what they're beeping at, but there's been anyway. Sorry, sorry for people listening or watching. <laughs> we, we can you may not be able to hear it. But there's the horns beeping and all sorts of things. Um, sorry, the reason I, I was talking about the the length of term of the PM is one of the things I think, rightly or wrongly, because I haven't really thought in depth about it, is that when you have a, a length term which is what, it's five years, right with the PM. Mm. Five years? Well, yeah, fixed-term
1: parliaments, Being five years, but the change you get. It used to be four years, then they became five years, and it might very well become four again.
0: Okay. Is that, um, f- you know, for the benefit of the country and for people, you need, you need long-term strategy, like, which mm. like, long-term isn't five years. Mm. For example, being greener, Reducing carbon emissions, as as one example, mm, right? Mm. When you have a length of term, it's only four or five years, whatever it is, or whatever it's going to be. It doesn't lend itself towards the party that's in power, whoever's in power, um, acting on things that are good for the long term. It lends itself to the party that's in power acting on quick, mm. quick gains, quick goals, um, which may not necessarily be the right way forward. Mm. That's was that was my thinking.
1: So, so I think was, all Just <laughs> thinking about you know when you compare to you know the American system, for example, even the Russian system with five-year presidencies, you know there there are four or five-year terms. Um, you know governments will always make strategic decisions over the long term. Um, but what's really really important is to ensure a cycle of ensuring people have their say on on the future direction. That's why when you go to an election, you know people are voting for. A political party's manifesto and what's going to be delivered, and we've just seen—you know—it might be a rarity to, to say this, but we've just seen with the COVID pandemic that actually, you know, shit happens. You know, things do change, and, and things do change within that that cyclical, in that cyclical way. Um, but like I said, I, I think we, you know, I think we have one of the best forms of democracy uh, in the world uh, because every four or five years, people are given the opportunity to speak. And you know we've seen renewal within a political party in power, from with um, with 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 the selection and election of Boris Johnson, for example, um, and and that's the way it should be. You should be able to have um, renewal in in a very orderly um, fashion without any disruption, which which is what our political system gives.
0: Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I need to think more. I need to think more about it. So, what's the next step? PCC, un- unfortunately unsuccessful. Unfortunately, yeah. would you stand again for it?
1: No, probably not. Um, and that's being f- really candid and probably giving you an exclusive. I've, I've, I've not really <laughs> that with that. It was slightly slipped out. Um, no, you know what? I've I've been of the opinion that there were there were a number of factors that that really enticed me to go for it this time round. And I put my own kind of parliamentary ambitions on hold to to do it. Uh, and the factors were the right factors. It was the right were the right reasons to do it. They're the right things I've shared, you know, I I I um, I, I was passionate about, and 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 really um, wanted to see change. And, and and with the sorts of things that I I felt I could do and deliver. Um, but there was a set kind of there was a uniqueness around around that period for why I ran. Um, so I, I probably you know famous last words. I, I don't think I would again um but it's um it's an interesting one that, you, know, you say uh, in terms of that we've not talked about my military career or, or 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 background at all but i think you know being in the military makes you certainly a lot more resilient um but it also gives you that sense of you know wanting to you know be quite expeditionary kind of strive and go into new areas and and, and challenge yourself to do new things and i think for me now it's i wouldn't want to repeat you know just try proving a point, um, I would want to, to actually genuinely explore new opportunities. I mean, that's not, having said that, you know, if, 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 if there were a new set of new factors and things changed and, and, and I was asked the question again, who knows, but I think having done it once and having, you know, done it over a sustained period of time, two years of campaigning, um, I'm, I'm ready for a new challenge. Political challenge? Yeah, absolutely, oh, oh definitely, definitely. What are you thinking? Uh, parliamentary. Um, it's always been my aspiration to go into uh, into Parliament. Um, always has been, always will be. Um, and I think I've got a lot I can bring and and do within within Parliament. How does that? So two questions.
0: Mm. Where does that come from? And the second one mm. is uh, how does that how does that tie in with you know being a member of you're a member of the reserves, right? Or are you not anymore?
1: Oh, i still am i still am. Yeah, yeah. So 15 yeah. years reserves, right? yeah 12 12, 13 now sorry yeah
0: yeah, okay right yeah so how does that work with
1: yeah being part of the military um so well firstly we've got we've got serving mps who are former military uh as well as currently reservists but it's it's a unique i suppose it's a slightly unique thing with being a reservist where um your 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 terms of service or the service that you're in in taking as a uh, undertaking as a reservist allows that in terms of flexibility uh to be able to do so if you were full-time if you were a regular and you wanted to to serve or or stand excuse me (coughs) be an mp um you'd have to you know resign um um, your commission or 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 leave Uh, and people do but i think with the with the reserves because you are uh, you have that kind of uniqueness you're able to do both And, and certainly there are a few mps that do both they they serve as reservists as well as being uh, sitting MPs, which is great. I think it's 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 very beneficial to to have that uh, ability uh, to still continue serving your country, particularly if you've you've done it for a period of time, uh, as well as um, you know bring that voice to bear in, in in a place like Parliament. But going back to your, your original question, again, it goes for me. It goes back to being sixteen, being in inner city Birmingham, and 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 just. You know, feeling that no one was listening to to my voice or people, you know, the, the community's voice, and and feeling the need to actually project that voice out there.
0: What were the issues? You, what were the issues you were facing at the time
1: uh, in the city, of Birmingham? Just just you know, um, just issues around poverty. Um, not to say that I was impoverished or anything, but just issues about lack of investments into inner city areas, jobs, opportunities, job opportunities, particularly um, inner city crime. Um, I went to a grammar school. I should probably put this into context. So I went to a boys grammar school, uh, Hands of Grammar. Um, and, um, you know, the question mark over um, a lot of kids, certainly when I was growing up in the 90s, was, you know, about jobs, what are you going to do when you finish? Um, you know, how are you going to get your, your foot in the door of a, a, a decent, you know, place of work and, and have a good career? Uh, and I was lucky at being at a grammar school where you were pushed and you strived, and, and certainly the, 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 with, with the school I went to, a lot of emphasis was placed on on ensuring you you know you did well in your GCSEs and your A levels. But the thing that really made a difference for me was the fact that I could say I went to a grammar school. Um, in terms of getting my foot in the door of, you know, university or jobs, etc. Um, for a lot of kids, and I knew a lot of kids from, from other areas and uh, other schools, you know, it, the opportunities weren't always there. You really had to strive and do well. And if you didn't do well, you know, you could easily fall through the cracks. I had plenty of friends who fell through the cracks, failed in their A-levels or failed in their GCSEs <coughs> and, and you know, became drug dealers um, or, 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 or did other things. And... Um, and the, the, the kind of the important factor for I think for a lot of people from my sort of background was the fact that you have that strong community support and, and ethos, um, uh, cultural values that really pushed you into you know staying on the straight and narrow. Certainly, I did, and my 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 family kept me on the straight and narrow, uh, as did my my, my, my religious community. Um, but you know the factors that came to play in the '90s were were, were definitely there: opportunities, jobs, education. Um, Housing still is an issue. Crime, you know, everything from, well, just generally how crime's been dealt with, lack of police officers all the way through to, um, you know, the disproportionality, you might say, of, of how certain people from certain backgrounds are, 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 um, are treated in the eyes of the law. Um, there, there, there were some serious issues which, you know, haven't really been dealt with or, or addressed. Um, but, you know, politics as a means for creating change um, and I always think that um it's it's really important people engage with the political process to do that to have their voice heard um but also to you know ensure change happens for the better um to get those resources get those um you know um get that investment into the areas that need it because if you know if you can't do it for politics, what can you do it for?
0: Have you got politicians in the family
1: no no
0: have you got soldiers in the family no Okay, so why? Well, how come you ended up joining
1: up? <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest son of the oldest son. Uh, my grandfather migrated to 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 um, the oldest to, son of the oldest son. Yeah, my dad's the oldest right, as well. Okay, okay. So my granddad was uh, number four of five, um, and you know his older brother came over from India in the fifties si- and sixties. And then my granddad came over in the sixties. My dad was originally born in India. Came Can over. You just rock up then.
0: Could you just rock up and get a citizenship?
1: So at that time, um, you could you could come over. Um, let me get this right. The, Don't incriminate anyone. It was it was a bit more straightforward. <laughs> it was a bit more straightforward. So what happened? They came during the period of, of the sixties when Idi Amin was kicking um, Indians out from 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 from, from Uganda, um, and and the the migration rules were a bit more flexible um, and a bit more straightforward if you were coming from places like India or Uganda or Kenya or Tanzania my wife's side of the family all came from from Kenya uh, around that same time 50s and 60s um, they were a bit more straightforward and funnily enough you know people do forget about this it was the conservatives at the time and the conservative governments that eased the the, the rules when it came to migration from former colonial areas like that Um, labor always a bit more tougher on um, on stopping restriction um, on on creating restrictions but it was conservatives that eased it up Uh, because we had that historical connections and that and that there but you know migration or what we call the great migration of the 60s was very much based on the fact that there were there were a hell of a lot of um, manual labor jobs in in Britain post-war Britain um, that weren't being done by by people locally and therefore Britain needed manual laborers why were not they? Why weren't they? Yeah. Or why, why weren't they being done by locals? Who knows? Who knows? Um, but they they weren't being done for whatever reasons and factors. So, when my granddad came over, my granddad was a carpenter in India. Um, but he came and worked in the foundries of, of the or was it was just Sorry,
0: sorry, it wrapped. Or was it, it was just too much because it sounded like we we're slagging off locals in the seventies. Um, there must have been just too much demand for. It could have been, too yeah. Too much, it, could it could also work. have been
1: demand. Buyer, yeah, okay, post-war yeah, demand, yeah. post war demand. It could have very much. I can't much been imagine that. someone turning it down. <laughs> no, but there could be any any number of factors, but it could also be demand. But no, my my, my granddad came to work in the foundries of of the Black Country um, when when he came over in the sixties um, because and there was work, there was there was jobs, there was a better opportunity, economic prosperity, um, and therefore you know that was a, a motivating factor for a lot of people from from my sort of uh, community. But in terms of you know my kind of family history Um, my dad left school when he was about 12 13 um, as the oldest to go and work for the for the family Um, and therefore those opportunities weren't really there for my 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 parents generation Um, I was the first to go to to a grammar school uh, and the first to go to a university, and I just felt, I suppose, a bit of that pressure. But also, I just wanted to to strive. I just wanted to work hard. I was also very lazy as well at one point. But I, I just felt like I needed to be in a you know, you know, kids are lazy generally, but you know, it was a different type of lazy. It's not like lazy these days with playstations and and Netflix. It was you know, it was lazy just you know, kicking a football around the, you know the streets or whatever that sort of thing, rather than you know working or or reading textbooks or, or studying. Um, but no, I just I just felt I wanted to do stuff and, and, and be, be become someone, be, not quite be famous, but just be be doing like really interesting stuff that no one had done before. And that's what really pushed me. Um, and, and journalism, as I said, came came about because of my interest and I was good at writing. But you know, the, the, the kind of the military stuff was always there. As I was an air cadet um, with the RAF cadets, um, tried to join the RAF at eighteen, um, but had a slight issue with my eyesight, so they struck me off. Um, but that that sort of that that kind of that itch was always there, and again, you know, it was, it's based on again growing up and hearing the stories of the fact that Sikhs had served during World War One, World War Two, and and Frontier, but also kind of you know more historic than that, you know, see contribution, Sikh bravery and valor in the battlefield. It was these are all stories I grew up on, um, and, and you know. Part of it might have been trying to kind of emulate or, or thinking I could try emulating it, but I just had that interest in 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 in, 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 in the military.
0: A lot of Sikh VC winners is one of my first realizations of,
1: you know, the, the contribution of
0: uh, pe- of nations other than Britain mm. during during the, during the time of the British Empire during the First and Second World Wars. When I walked into the Jack. Club mm. Hotel in London. Mm-hmm. And they got all the BC winners and all the walls. Yeah. And I was like, man, there's a lot of not white faces here. Yeah, <laughs> I need to you. read some Ali people. Yeah, Ali oh, stories, man. man. Unbelievable. Oh, Unbelievable. you got some fantastic
1: stories. Kadar like did the Khan, the first one, World War II, uh, World War One. Got some World fantastic II uniforms II. as well. Yeah. And this <laughs> is, I mean and and you know the great thing is, you know, these were these were innovations by the British to, you know, accommodate native, you know, what they call native soldiers and 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 um um, and 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 native officers into kind of the system. My turban is one of those innovations. You know, the fact that my turban is pleated, folded neatly, um, and, and and ironed, but certainly pleated was was an innovation that the British brought up. It's not really? As if, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. Going back three hundred years, you know, Sikhs didn't pleat their turbans. You know, it was a thing that the British thought. You know what? Sikhs wear turbans. Not just Sikhs, by the way. Other you know other natives. You know, Rajput, Hindu Rajputs, or or um or patans they ha- all had their different types of headdresses based around turbans as the as the local kind of you know custom and formality um but the british got them to to pleat them <laughs> which is brilliant um is a, a really funny story actually I should tell this story uh, when i was in washington i lived with this um with this nigerian girl um um in in, in and um and i washed my turban one day and i you know my turbans a big long piece of cloth you know, nearly six foot long, uh, and I, I fold it and I iron it, and you know I had to ask her to help me. I was like, "Do you mind just helping me? I just need to fold it like this." And you, I have to fold it like this, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I know how to do that. We do that to our bed sheets. I was like, "You what?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you know, wherever the British went, including in Africa, with the Ethiopians, for example, as well, the Ethiopian rifles, um, and in South Africa as well, they had this tradition, um, and and they they embraced it, and we forget about that. You know, we forget about our customs and traditions. But like you say, you know, you walk into the Union Jack. Just like if you walk into the In and Out, or you walk into Royal Military Academy Sandhurst and Old College, you'll see all these images, which is you know part and parcel of our history. Um, but you, you know it's 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 one of those things it's not known about more more um, more um, in, more in the mainstream. But you know we certainly get a view of it through the military.
0: Yeah, definitely. Wait, what's the relevance of the turban in tur- from in Sikhism?
1: Yeah. So, um, Sorry, excuse me, ignorance as well. By the way. No, not at all. Um, always happy to, to answer the question. So, Sikhs, we don't cut our hair. So, you know, hair is sacred for us. We we maintain long uncut hair, and the way we um, fashion it, if you like, you know, keep it smart, be presentable, but also encase our hair and our head and our cranium and look after our heads is with a turban. Uh, and there's a science behind it as well with the turban as well, because when you're whether you're praying or doing good, you're 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 taking positive energy from the from the earth's core from the ground up and you know it's connected to what's in your head which is the third eye if you like or what we call the the 10th doorway that connection you have that spiritual connection you have and so with a with a turban any positive energy that you're 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 bringing up and harnessing through your good deeds is maintained on your on your person with the turban um so that's where it comes from, but also it's, it's it's a really important part of our identity. You know how we project ourselves, how we present ourselves, and it's often said, you know, with a, a Sikh with a turban, you can't hide in a crowd. Everyone knows who you are, and that's purposely so as well. So you are upstanding in society, and you do take a stand. And people know as well. You know, if they need a help, if they need if they need help, if they need to turn to someone, you know, you're identifiable. They come to you, and you've got that. Um, you're you're obliged uh, to help people.
0: Do different colours mean things? Yes, they do. Ooh, I just pop them <laughs> Do you know why? Because it's, uh, it's. I'm sure it's an Indiana Jones film, and one of the, oh, there's a big orange, someone with an orange turban, really prominent. And when I mean, you talk about the crowd, you can't. Start to yeah. I remember, it's, it's, it's walking through the crowd, a big orange I, turban.
1: I, I should probably declare at this stage. Hang right? on.
0: Does bad? Go on. Does black, a black turban mean a bad thing? <laughs> oh no!
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so traditionally, I should sorry, declare this. Mate, no, sorry, late. No, I'm happy, lonely warts <laughs> and all? warts and all? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll happily declare. I'll, I'll, I should declare that. Shit. Traditionally, I'll, I'll caveat it. Traditionally, um, black was a, a colour of protest against the British, uh, which, <laughs> which is where it comes from. Uh, but you know, I wear black because black matches everything. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, black yeah. goes yeah. with everything. Yeah. No, the traditional colours. Black wasn't. Black wasn't a black. Um, within Sikhdom, the two traditional colours are, are blue and orange, uh, or it's it's actually saffron. It's it's off orange. Um, it's not quite orange. I'm just trying to find a, an example around here. It's more kind of yellowy. Um, and those are the two traditional colours. The so blue um, was the traditional colour. You know, you take shelter underneath the the sky, and blue is that colour of empowerment. Orange is a colour of empowerment as well. White is uh, traditionally a saintly colour. Because you know white cleanliness, but also against white, you can see when something's dirty. So you know you know to to get it washed. But white is a color of cleanliness. Um, red or a kind of a, a reddy pinkish color is more of the kind of the matrimonial color. Um, it's it's what you traditionally wear when you get married because it's the color that um, um, traditionally has been worn um, around marriage. Green is a Sufi color, so Sufi Muslims will predominantly wear green in Afghan and places like that. You'll see a lot of green being worn. Um, a lot of the darker colors as well um, and that probably covers off the main ones um, and then everything else is you know but the, by and large these days you know you turban can choose, wearers, you can it's, choose. Just, it's, it's just fashion isn't it? it's it's fashion it's whatever color you know suits your personality or you like or you or you um, or you want to match with whatever you're wearing mm. um, I, I've dabbled in color um, so as ink core my turban was slime green <laughs> it was cypress <laughs> green I had one. Uh, funny story with that, the Paso said, Oh go find a turban, I don't know where to get them from. I was like, Yeah, cool, I'll get them off, you know, from from turban shops in Saharaald in Birmingham, that's cool, yeah. because um, they don't, you know, we don't hold onto stocks and stocks of turbans in stores or anything. Um, and then when I rebadged, um, it's it's a, it's a darker blue, which is easier. But you know, it's it's great these days. I saw I saw someone um, I saw R P, someone wearing a red one um, with R and P. Uh, and I've seen a marine wear a white one with a with a red band as well, which looks pretty smart as well. So, you know, you, you you're getting all sorts of colours these days with, with Sikhs joining, turban wearing Sikhs joining various regiments and units.
0: Hmm. And I yeah. learned something, mate. Interesting.
1: <laughs> it's pretty cool. And you know what? You know, I I always think, you know, if anybody ever wants to know anything, just you know, don't be shy to ask. You know, we've got to break down these barriers. Well, well, you got the problem at the moment
0: these days, <coughs> which I think it's dying, I was talking to Gaz, Sinita's guild mm. Gaz, and if you know him. Um the uh, the other day about it seems to me, you know, again inverted commas wokeism you know like flipping hard left lunacy right um seems to be dying <coughs> off. Though. I think you know it's not as bad as well. It's it's on. We're coming back to normality, right? We're coming back to normality. Do you know an example? Do you know what I haven't heard of uh, for a while is uh, cultural appropriation? Mm. I know I'm getting accused of cultural appro. I take it back. I heard of that? Some occasion of it happened yesterday with one of the Kardashians who who who. Dreadlocked or pleated their hair, oh, and they really? Really got accused of cultural appropriation. Fuck off! Um, but it does seem to be on, on, um, dying down. But going back, I mean, the reason I mentioned this to you about, you know, just don't be afraid to ask people about differences. Mm. But people are so worried about offending people. That's what it is. They're worried about offending people and yeah. getting and, and getting the yeah. the finger pointed at them for being yeah. this, that, or X, Y, or Z racist or um, yeah. or or uh, anti. Feminist or transphobic yeah. or flipping, yeah, you, can't, you know, yeah. again, which stifles
1: the conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I, I know the look, by the way. There is a look. Uh, there, oh, a there is a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a white person look, usually white male look <laughs> that I know that That's look. racist. That's can't racist. That, that's yeah, racist. call it out. Call <laughs> it out. No, but no, there, no. Is, there, is a, <laughs> there is a white male look that I know really, really well. Have I done it? I, I, no, you've not done it, actually. No, no you've no, not. No, <laughs> God, but God. I've seen it so many times where. Go on. I, I'm probably not doing it really, really right I look probably really constipated but there's a look where there's a look where
0: can I ask a question can I not that kind of thing
1: no? and it's that kind of slight hesitancy and you, and, and the eyes will be like <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know the look and I know the look and I've seen it so many times and, and, I, and whenever I see the look I like, make just what do you want to know? Uh, let's just talk about it. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I think, you know, for me, and I, I'll say this personally, but I, the, the word of advice I would give to anyone is, look, you know, if you want to know, just ask the question and ask the question in in as, in as a respectful way as you can. But, you know, do me a favor. Just ask the question if you're drinking or if you're drunk because, you know, people will... No, sorry about that. No, we're having a conversation. Because I've seen it the other way as well, which is, you know, people, you know, have a couple of pints or whatever and they're at the pub, and it will just come out wrong. Yeah, is is yeah, is, yeah, is yeah, the yeah. reason why I say it. Yeah. So you know, nothing wrong with asking. You know, please do ask. You know, but you know, just 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 be mindful of of you know, you know, being respectful because the person hearing it might not necessarily think you're being disrespectful, but it might come across in a kind of slightly weird way, and and they might get defensive, and then it just you know it it just gets mm. it, you know it's it's a downward trajectory. Awkward. It gets awkward, awkward. but you know, it, awkward's the the polite way of saying it. You know, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it go horribly wrong where you know the person asking just did it in the wrong way um and the person responding what know, was the question it was something about you know turban you know why how would you tie that you know something like that but the the person who who was responding they should have been a bit more kind of aware of situational awareness should have been there and they should have just realized actually he's had, he's had a few to drink and you know what it, you know, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but, you know, it doesn't need you to then be a dick yourself. So, you know, just ask the question, please, but just be mindful. And people, I always say to, to, to Sikhs and, and others, you know, if someone asks you something, you know, just again, just, you know, just be mindful. Um, you know, we all get had. you know, everyone gets their Dutch courage. And and feels like, you know, they want to ask questions, but sometimes it's not the right place to do it. But yeah. there shouldn't be there shouldn't be anything wrong with asking, you know, excuse me, what's your could you tell please could you explain what yeah. your turban's about, or really? please could you explain what your beard's about or, yeah. or whatever. And and we can have respectful conversations that way.
0: I love it, mate. I think we're incredibly lucky. I do. I think when I say we, I mean people who reside in Britain. Mm. We are incredibly mm. lucky in that we live in we do live in an incredibly diverse country. I I flipping love it. Mm. Um from diversity of the people, diversity of the cultures, diversity of geographic diversity, mountains, gotcha. no mountains, coast, no coast. Yeah. Flipping, you know, um, and, uh, and we should take advantage of it. You yeah, know, absolutely. We were, talking, we, were, we were talking earlier about, or you were talking earlier about, you know, uh, s- cultural isolation, d- uh, you know, communities not uh, get involved with each other. D- and again, that's, that's a, like a, not a symptom it's a, it's a course of culture you know they they tend to it, it's a it's the evolutionary defense mechanism yeah. to stick stick with your own people right yeah. but also an evolutionary defense mechanism to know as much as you can about other things <laughs> you exactly. know, knowledge right and uh we we should we should want to yeah. know. we should want to experience or understand other people's experiences because yeah. they you know like you know stuff i don't know I know stuff you don't know. You've got amazing experiences that I have not had and I want to mm. know about those things and vice versa. And vice versa. You know, you come, you, come, you come from a completely different mm. world than what I do. You have a mm. completely different upbringing from what I've had, completely different parenting mm. and all down to the fact that you, you're not the same mm. as me. Mm. <laughs> mm.
1: You know, but you know, I think, you know, but there's strength when we come together and, and that's the point. You know, you, you nailed it on the head. You know, I might know stuff that you don't, but, you know, you certainly know stuff that I don't and there is strength in coming together and, and I, you know, I certainly see this in the army and, the army of today uh, our modern army and, and, and with you know diversity and, and the ability to reach into and and, and recruit different people of diverse thinking and, and ways of life you know is a strength because then we've got new ideas we've got original ways of thinking we've got different ways of doing things you know we've got co- creativity when you when you' when your one-ups allow you to be creative you know you, you've got so many different things coming in and it has to, and it should be a strength and we certainly in our country I don't think you know play to our strengths enough. Because we, we get you know we get we get bogged down in these stupid debates, you know we get bogged down into oh can we talk about this can we not talk about that can we should it be like this should it be like that, and and you know I'm certainly of the opinion that you know there are there there are always malign agendas, but you know we should be more resilient to that and we should be certainly more forward thinking in, in in believing that you know you know if if you know people within my team speak different languages for example that that's empowerment. You know, that means we can cover off so many bases. You know, if people bring different things because they've seen things differently culturally or religiously or whatever, that, that's an empowerment. That makes our unit, our team, stronger. And it would be certainly true in, in a business world and it's certainly true in a military world. Um, we've got a place for our strengths. I absolutely agree, mate. The greatest teams,
0: are, are the greatest teams. one of the qualities of, of, of good teams, effective teams, is diversity. diversity. Um, and, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Have we...
1: Anything you wanted to cover that we haven't covered? Oh, God, we've spoken about so many things. I think we've covered quite a lot, isn't it? I mean, um, it's yeah. It's been a good conversation. I've really enjoyed yeah. it, mate. Really enjoyed me it. Me too. Um, how can people
0: uh, track you, follow you, <laughs> see what you're doing?
1: I'm active on Twitter, jsingsolhal, at Um Just, yeah, find me on Twitter. It's usually spell fine. it out. Spell it out. Uh, letter J, S-I-N-G-H, S-O-H-A-L. Um, more than happy to, to, to take a DM or if you want to um drop me facebook's exactly the same as well but um yeah quite active on twitter at the moment
0: okay perfect mate and um if you do or when you do end <laughs> up uh taking that next step into politics i wish you the very best of luck Thank mate you. in all Thank honesty you. and um mate this again
1: absolutely We'd love to. it's been brilliant Thank you.
0: That's it. Thank you for listening. Another shout to my sponsors. Rugby for Heroes, a not-for-profit organization raising money for military charities. Man, I said that quick. A not-for-profit organization raising money for military charities. They've got an event in six days' time, 26th of June. It is free to attend. See you there. Rugbyforheroes.org, rugbyforheroes.org, or on social media, is at four heroes. Thank you, R4H. Also, sponsoring the podcast for the Black group. The Aardvark Group have a significant percentage of their workforce who are ex-military. They have been supporting the military community for decades. They work in post-conflict zones. You can buy shit on their website. That will help you if you work in a post-conflict zone. Aardvark.group. Thank you. And finally sponsoring the podcast today with Combat Cigars, the first and the only British veteran-owned cigar company in the UK. Combatcigars.co.uk That's it. Until next time. Say the words, Kate.
1: Say it. Out. Out.